0: Hello, this is Claire. Welcome to the Art of Life podcast and I'm going to speak today. I started a series and I will be continuing a series of podcasts kind of in pairs and then they're probably going to expand out of this the subject of women, art and sex and what they are, what they've been indoctrinated and limited to be but what they really are <laughs> essentially and I'm, I'm I've already created two very in-depth podcasts which are probably still going to expand even more in depth around what is woman and this pair uh, this is seri- uh, number one out of a two-part series um, around art and if you've seen my website lately you'll notice that they're name of it has changed to womenartsex.com and these to me seem like this trilogy, this triangulation of things that have been most distorted in the world and that are the source of our power and which are most ripe for returning to source and returning to their power, their natural nature, their natural state of being and how we are empowered by them. So I've been building up for ages, thinking and thinking and ruminating and feeling and waiting for the right moment. And I'm, I'm all cozied up in my chapel bedroom here in the art house in this medieval quarter in Italy. Um, and this is the moment to, to let it all pour out. I, I've been speaking about what art really is basically since I was a child, but more and more so, the more I, I started participating in public life um, and went to art school, moved to the mainland, went to art school and saw more and more excessive distortion of what I knew art to be, what I knew the art of life to be, what I knew nature to be and our con- inalienable interconnectedness with nature. I knew from a young age that art was somehow deeply, all the words of like entrenched, interwoven, inseparable, inalienable, like they don't really describe what, like we are whole, we are art, we are artists and the art of life involves expression and creation um, in our multidimensional self, in relation to nature, in relation to each other, in relationship, in all the realms. And instead it has been perverted and stolen from us and turned into this thing that is purely hierarchical, purely of the ego and the cerebral and inverted quite phenomenally, so polarized and turned into the opposite of what it really is. So art nowadays in the art world has been distorted to such an extent that um, very few people relate to it. It costs billions of dollars or millions of dollars. And um, even the people who are relating to it, it's coming from a, a brain compartmentalisation it's coming from a very logical part of the brain of a hierarchy of in jokes and in stories and insiders only um private club patriarchal membership kind of a reality and even some of the really great artists that are doing beautiful and meaningful work just now they exist within this structure which is all about the artist as special person, separate from the whole, very separate and separated by a hierarchy, separated by them being not available, not living in the community, not living in the thrum of the busyness of life, but living separate from it and protected from it even. And their work often You know, there's some artists that um, pass that limitation and are able to touch the spirit of the world and make meaningful work, but they are fairly few and far between. And the majority of what's being presented as art is certainly in the last 20, 30, 50 years is progressively having already been very patriarchal and women's art having been filtered out and censored and removed and diminished over many centuries. The recent decades have been a profoundly locking down, um, definitive limiting of what art is. So just to put all that to the side for a moment, it's very difficult to put it to the side because it's so saturated to the point where almost every average person who has visited an exhibition of mine in my exhibiting life in my 35-plus years of being an artist and presenting artwork in the world, to a person, almost everybody, who's not an artist or in the art world, as it were, they have almost always made this statement of, oh, so I don't know anything about art, but, or um, I can't, I'm i not creative at all, but, um, like a disclaimer that basically says that they are they are not of that world. They're not able to participate in it, but they're just gonna give a wee opinion, you know, that doesn't matter and doesn't mean anything. When really, And again, I want to step out of that and step into what art really is and start talking about what it really is, not what it isn't. Um, But really, most of the people that I've been speaking to, um, sorry, all of the people I've been speaking to over all these years who are denying their own artistic capacity and denying their creative capacity, this like that phrase, that, that disclaimer is such a gateway into what's really going on here. It, it's a gateway into our having been brainwashed into believing that we're not creative. And, and what that really means in entering that jurisdiction of <clears throat> I am not creative, it's putting our divine creative capacity to the side and acting under the jurisdiction, like literally acting in a theater under the jurisdiction of consumerism, commercialism and being an inept being, being a, a being that is can only consume, can only buy and can only work through commerce but can't make for themselves, can't create, can't resolve, find solutions <clears throat> or even have divine relationship with folk Because we've made this agreement, this contract that's come through our education, probably come through even through art class, through conventional primary school and high school education, that starts disciplining us, or even punishing us quite severely, even punishing us physically, if we try and express ourselves. And again, this is such a deep subject, and it, it goes into everything in life everything including the current pharmaceutical agenda, including jib jabs, including what are called the VACCINEs, but are not that at all. Going into the poisoning of our air, our water, chlorine chlorification, etc. etc. <clears throat> and hypertoxification of the human biome, the the soil, the environment around us and, and our very make-up, our being. That clouding of our true nature, the clouding of our vitality through poisoning, essentially, means that it's very easy for a system to impose limitations on a body that's already to some degree weakened um, physically or energetically. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I won't be editing that out. <laughs> a really important symbol of expression that the body is able to release something on not just the physical, but the energetic uh, in the fluids, in the air, in the lungs, in the expression, in the chest, in the throat, in the cervix, in the diaphragm. Um yeah, speaking speaking the truth out can often bring up um very intense reactions and even something like sneezing or coughing or tightening of the throat where I might have been conditioned to not not say what is really true, um, and again the expression, the true expression of um, what we are, what our nature is, has been so compartmentalized, limited, and like tied in knots. It's like we've been compartmentalized into all these different threads that, in fact, should be a an inseparable fabric that where this the threads are all melded into a solid mass, a beautiful solid cloak of identity, but instead we've had all these areas of life compartmentalised and then had jurisdictions put over them, so having agencies to take care of our health and our religion and our thinking, our politics and and so on, our education. <clears throat> and... It's, it's really mind-blowing, mind-boggling and um, life-changing to recognise how many areas of life are interfered with and then to get into this journey of what happens when you start to actually live those areas of life without the intervention, without the agency interfering <clears throat> and telling you how this area is so difficult and limiting for you um, real art and our actual nature as co-creator goes way back to our our actually being conceived as it were. The term conception and conceiving is so distorted, it's, it's conditioned into our minds as something to do with the brain, the brain thinking of an idea and then pop (laughs) forcing it out into the world and that almost our our mum and dad almost like conceived of an idea and then had a really banal polemic activity of sexual intercourse and then this sperm went into an egg and we were conceived as if we had somehow been thought up and therefore made or, or that we just followed some consequences of very banal you know, sex and then we're, we're in the world, boom. And stripping that back, you know, just to get to the very basics of like, how did we actually get here? Those of us who've done a lot of work around this have a clear um, embodied knowing that the point of conception wasn't a banal act on the part of our parents. It wasn't simply a biological unfolding. The conception, as it were, is something that was chosen from other, beyond dimensional, where we existed as part of something much greater, and we chose to come in through this incarnation and chose to be conceived. So... There was, there was something before and there was something much greater, much larger, much more panoramic, but more universal divine intelligence panoramic. And there was a, a free will and a choice that was made to come through and come in. So the action of coming in to incarnation through the zygote, through the zinc spark, through the actual what is conventionally called conception, that is fundamentally that gateway, that place that we entered, that explosion, that electrical pulse that happened at our so-called conception of the so-called point where the sperm entered the egg. We have been taught that it's like a very perfunctory... Um biological, scientific, empty, soulless type of a functional thing that happened when really there was this moving of worlds, moving of universe and us weaving with the fabric of the universe and us, our free will being present, our uniqueness being present, our choosing to come in at that very specific moment through the body of our mother through the sperm of our father, through into the balance, into the mess of what this world is, to serve a purpose, to be creative in this world, to create, to be in the art of life and to perfect our mastery of the art of life. That's at least how I experience it and how I know it to be. And I know that my my life as an artist, like a person who paints and who has drawn and painted from a really early age and gone deep and deep and deeper and deeper and deeper into the practice, that in itself has opened up what the actual nature of, of life is because I've gone into it in an organic and free and free will and uninhibited way and I haven't followed the art system and the limitations of the art world or got ensnared in the in the embroilment of of being beholden to contracts or yeah the hierarchy of gallery and separation and and having somebody between me and people who are loving and living with my work so um Yes, one of the the really um profound unfoldings of recent years, um as a person who has been struggling to be in the system and yet knowing that I can only exist outside the system or at the at the best at the very best, right on the edge of it, you know, the, the growth, the edge of things where nature always springs up. Um the last couple of years have been profoundly revelatory and and informative. And I sense a lot of information coming through around what is the, the nature of our creative, not just our creative impulse, but like our inherent inseparable need to express on all the levels, express... Um, through all the senses and through all the um facilities of the body and mind and spirit. Um, the system uh, and the agenda um, by definition ha- as as it's working with limitation and atrophy and separation and compartmentalization it has to always be going further into that dynamic, more control, more compartmentalization, more separation, uh, more numbness, more uncreativity, like the opposite of creativity. And unfortunately or not, thinking creatively, it really is all blessing because no matter what we're suffering right now, we can move suffering by definition can lead us to not suffering in fact that's what it's for and that's the natural nature of suffering suffering is something that's gifted to us that we can understand comprehend more fully how to not suffer that's just what I know that's just what I have been informed by the universe to be true and this is just what I'm here to share that's that's as simple as it can be. It's It sounds like a harsh thing from a conventional perspective of limitation where it might even sound like victim blaming or telling people in pain that they, they deserve to be suffering. But my journey through suffering and pain and illness and depression and trauma and grief has come through going through it, not go, not through resisting it, separating from it, not through not wanting it. And this to me, this is a, a lot of information, <laughs> a lot of background information um, about art. But this to me is is really important to comprehend what real art is, what what the art of life is, what what we really are co-creating, because without understanding how art is life and art is the vitality of life and art is consciousness the thing that we've called art that's been put into the world like the art world the gallery system artists is a is a, a version of the thing that like many things like all the food like the water we drink like um, even the clothing we wear it's it's skills services resources and riches that have been stolen from us that actually belong to us naturally belong to us the ability and the the capacity and right to make your own clothes and express yourself vibrantly and fully through your clothing the the medicine that's been taken and branded and taken up into the pharmaceutical hierarchy and then forced on us not on me thank you very much but forced on folk um even against their will which is where we start getting into really profound things about like what are we doing are we in a death cult are we so blind to sabotaging ourselves are we being really uncreative and the the creativity that that should be our birthright the riches the resources that should be our birthright are invisible to us because we're so focused on the services, the supermarkets, the medicine, the things that are being thrown at us through the TV, through the internet, through the agencies and through the external reality. And meanwhile... We, we assume art and creativity and empowerment and power to be things that are very far away from us, even vitality. And um, consciousness might seem like things that are, it's presented through the system as, as a thing far away from us instead of it being right here. Oh, that's, excuse, that's noise in the background. Um vegetable van announcing vegetables, <laughs> Um, where everything is available to us right now. The infinite riches of the universe are available to us right now through ourself, in ourself, of ourself, but they can't be accessible by a brain separated from the body. They can't be accessed from a mind that has been compartmentalised and senses that have been compartmentalised and a body that's been compartmentalised, labelled and declared defunct or not working optimally. Um, And yet at the very same time, the very same time, it's all miraculously available to us right now. And my statement that we are all artists and we're all divine co creatives that I harp on about a lot is based around that knowing, like, the, the holistic, embodied, extended, divine knowing that we have this capacity in all moments to be creative, even if it's from the position of having been disadvantaged by interference, attacks, sabotage, self-imposed sabotage, confusion, foggy mind... Um. Punishment from a corrupt system that is perversely punishing people just for being, just for existing. Um, even when all of that is piled on, even when all of that is there, we can always move in the direction of life rather than in the direction of evil and non live, EVIL. We can always move the other direction. We're all, it's always our free will when it's open and informed, and the, the informing is the difficult part, perhaps. The more difficult part, if we're focused on getting our information from a system that is heavily, heavily invested, holistically invested in informing us wrongly, <laughs> when we, when we um, begin to get a, a, a taste of that—that that the that we are receiving a lot of really dodgy information from all kinds of sources that we used to trust around us—then we can start to recognise, like what is the direction of life and art of life and harmony and health and vitality and what is the other direction and what direction are we heading in? Like, where are we... Where have we been heading in? What what have our actions been consequencing and what has our creativity been harnessed into? Are we actually being creative? Because if we're not being vibrantly creative, expressive, expressive in a pure artistic form, expressive in the garden, expressive physically in our movement, expressive with our voice, speaking the truth directly from embodied truth coming up through our being, um, from through the emotional, through the heart and the emotional, through the throat, through an open throat, flowing of words, flowing of connected body, mind and spirit, not separated, compartmentalized, self-sabotaged, inverted power but fully embodied known power, um, the artistic alchemy that happens when we're, when we're in the right direction, when we're moving in the right direction, we'll immediately start to see, having turned around from the wrong direction and gone in the right direction, we'll immediately see the universe meeting us, the divine co-creative universe meeting us. <clears throat> and that is something that um, over the over the centuries has been presented as an inattainable special moment, like artistic genius, artistic inspiration, eureka moments, um, divine inspiration like being channeled by from God and you know, that kind of thing, you know, big light from heaven, hallelujahs, and angel trumpets um giving us the solution. And that's what's been stolen from us. It's been turned into a cliche of itself instead of it being something that is permanently, and I mean permanently, infinitely accessible to us, infinitely accessible perfectly freely accessible to us in every moment. Um, yeah, and th- it might seem that, like a lot of this has got very little to do with actual painting and art, but that in itself is, is also a really important point. Like the, To me, in my experience and work as an artist, even though I don't really classify myself as such anymore. Um, <clears throat> there's... As much as I love my art, I love my paintings, I have them all around me. You can see them behind me on the wall here if you're watching this video. Um, my house is full of, full of my art, but my art is somehow, it's like, it's like the difference between the symptoms and the, the root cause. The thing that's really important is, is what's flowing through me that art facilitates, um, gardening facilitates, cooking facilitates, um, dreaming facilitates, bathing and lovely salts and oils and herbs facilitates, um, lovemaking or self-pleasuring inspires and allows, facilitates, lets flow. Um, The paintings that pop out, uh, the symptoms that are expressed are are not as not they're they're a, they're an example of it. They're like an expression of it, but they're not the thing itself. Although they are expressing the thing itself and are from and of that origin. And um, <clears throat> this is where it gets really interesting because we've been conditioned to see um, important art, as it were, the Mona Lisa the shark in formaldehyde, the temples, the frescoes, Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel, where we've been so polemicised to think that that is a thing that is divine in itself, that almost the man didn't really matter. Something came through him from God and he was touched by the finger of God. And then big sparks came out and light and the fire of white flames and um, angels singing tunes and all that stuff. And then this painting appeared and the painting was the magical thing. The painting was the thing that if people just feast their eyes on it, they'll get delivered and they'll be liberated. And to some degree that can work, you know, one can be liberated through art because if we're able to let go of what the projection of onto the art is and what the labelling of it is and what how it's been limited and how it's been that it's just a channel, it's just a window. Um, if we're able to really look through the window of art, like let go of our projections onto it and the structure and hierarchy that we've been trained to project onto it, <clears throat> the false, this the external kind of preciousness of it, the cost of it, the, the great value in dollars of it. If we can let go of that and spend time, a lot of people have had those incredible moments looking at art and being transported. And yet, the fact that they were transported came through them. It came through a painting, but it came through them. And their ascension embodied... Wisdom was able to catch it, as it were, and have it flow through them. So it is them who's doing it, essentially. And um, again, it just keeps coming back to like the source, the thing that's flowing through us. We are the source, and it couldn't flow through us. If we weren't the source, we might get a little bleep, a little blip of it, a little thrill or tingle from it. But unless we have some divine connection with source, it wouldn't be able to flow through us in these profound ways that in our lifetime, all of us have had some kind of an experience, maybe not in front of art, but we've had some kind of a spiritual experience in our life and we've had some kind of a a beautiful opening to expansiveness. It might have come through taking some drugs or... Um, lovemaking or swimming naked in the sea or in a river or um, just doing what we really really love and being so fully in it so fully immersed in it that we forget our conditioning we forget the limitations for a while and recognize that we are divine flow we are divine intelligence and we are divine connection like interconnected with all things so yeah, coming back to the practice, I want to I want to ground this. Um I hope the, the duvet isn't making muffly noises or anything. I'm just keeping my legs and arms warm, it's quite chilly. The house is just at the point where um the outside is starting to warm up and it makes the house feel even colder. <laughs> There's only a couple of months of the year where I get a bit of cold, cold house syndrome, uh, and I've got a lovely cozy stove that I put on during the evenings. Um but yeah, it's quite chilly to be sitting around unless all the doors and windows are wide open and um, it can get a wee bit noisy outside if people go by. So I was just keeping the windows and doors closed and the room's quite chilly, the chapel bedroom's quite chilly. Um. So I've got my big duvet over my legs and <laughs> my arms. It's lovely and cozy. Um. So yeah, getting back to the practicalities and the divinity of the practicalities, Um. my own observation, having been allowed to be freely creative and exploratory and connect with the wild in an indigenous and grounded and um, yeah, connected connected way with the culture around me, but more directly from just directly with nature. Um, it, it, there wasn't much of a separation um, or an interference with my capacity to make things, to to create and do things. And as a child, if you put a child out in nature, just purely out in nature, they'll just start to make genius things. They'll make buildings. They'll make dens first, and then the dens will get more elaborate. They might start constructing a chimney, understanding how fire works. They'll just interact with the elements I personally had an underground den with a turf roof and a, a chimney and a wee fireplace and a water supply th- from a pipe from the burn, the water stream coming down the mountainside and a wee pool outside, to, like which was like an outside sink, like a miniature pond, um, where I would get water so I could have a drink of water, even though the burn was just a couple of more metres away, <laughs> another 10 metres away or whatever from the den. But um, there was something profoundly wholesome and empowering about having this den that I could take my friends to play in or that I could just go and hang out and it was a shelter under the ground hidden and protected you couldn't see it if you walked up above it because it was a turf roof so it was like a hobbit hole but under the ground and hidden and um. There was just a little bit where you crawled down into it, and we got a bit big for it by the time we were in our teens. But it was quite a, it was quite the den. It was quite a magical space, and I think there was there was a story that the, the younger guy who'd lived there before had started making it, and left it. He'd like dug half a hole, and we, you know, with our wee hands and our wee trowel and a wee spade that we borrowed from dad, which was probably too big for us. We like dug it out and made a you know find I I remember I got I think it was corrugated iron or something I put on the roof of it um and some beams you know just like flung a branch or, or a bit of wood across it and then put the corrugated iron on it and then put some more bits of wood or whatever and then put turfs on it dug turfs from this hillside which is just something I naturally intuited how to do just squares of turf squares of wild grass and put them on the top and over the years it it grew in perfectly and was like invisible from the outside and that kind of thing like interacting with the environment um crafting a space around one you know not not a second skin like clothes but a third skin like a house like creating the kind of intuitively creating the kind of environment that I want to be in that's like these are really profound skills that um, later on allowed me to not think anything of buying an abandoned house and an abandoned medieval quarter and fixing it up by hand. And I didn't think I can't do that. I knew I could do it because I'd done it as a child and I'd done it from being a child, just like made things and made big things, made spaces and dens and, and constructed organic forms out of material, natural materials so when i started to draw and paint as a as a teenager in my early teens that was a natural progression of having been free to play and learn to use my hands rather than learning through toys or video games that weren't around at that time although i think Pac Man had been invent- invented <laughs> um, but really handheld games weren't around yet I think there might be some I think there was Etch-A-Sketch <laughs> and then there was a couple of other things that were starting to come in like something like I don't remember what the name of it but something like Nintendo or something but like the early 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 thing versions of it somebody in the village who had more money than us had one of them I think but I don't know if I ever got to look at it or <laughs> ever really understood what it was but it was something to do with beep beep boop boop and um, goggling at it and trying to get a a ball in a hole somewhere but yeah because I, I wasn't doing that and I wasn't watching tv as a child I was out in the elements and that's there was I was drawn to that in like in a holistic way you know waking up and it's the weekend and we're not at school and what do I naturally want to do I want to be outside want to build things want to make things want to see how water flows want to see how fire burns want to see how wood burns want to see how what I can do with wood you know how I can put it together and how I construct how I can construct things and um, enjoying spaces and having fun being in nature and watching animals watching insects watching plants and just being in harmony with it Um. so when I started drawing and painting I wasn't sitting and looking at a flower or a leaf or a twig as something separate from me there was all this feeling of being deeply connected with it all <clears throat> and and knowing it to be an intimate part of me and my relationship with it to be an intimate part of being alive and to be harmonious, like not being like, oh, this dirty old bit of driftwood or, you know, this, this leaf that I pick up and put <laughs> in front of me on the table or, oh, I have to draw this for homework, for art class, or any of that, you know, this was just, it was very easy for me to enter into communion with this material, this flower, this whatever it was. In fact, it wasn't even a flower, it wasn't even a leaf, it wasn't even a bit of driftwood, it was just immersion, it was full immersion. And as a teenager, in my early teens, my wee sister was born when I was 12 or so, And um, she was a noisy baby, she didn't sleep much. And we had to get up very early in the morning for school and come home at night, going in the winter, going to school out in the dark and the rain and the storms and coming back in the dark and the rain and the storms. And the house was noisy with brothers playing heavy metal and (laughs) people stomping up and down the stairs. There were lots of arguments. There were sometimes drunken arguments. <clears throat> there were a lot of things that as a sensitive sensitive teenager were really, um, really disturbing to my peace and not making me feel welcome at home. But I had this bedroom, a little tiny bedroom with a slopey roof and a big beautiful window. And I had this space that started open, opening up through my art. And I'd been exposed to art through classical music, paintings. My gran had been a painter and although she mostly just dabbled, she also expressed herself through sewing, embroidery, clothes making, all kinds of stuff. Um, And my mum similarly was very creative um, in all kinds of ways, including gardening and animal husbandry and, um, yeah, making natural food and using animal skins to create even clothing and so on. Um, So I had been exposed to art in different ways and crafts and it was the 70s and the 80s where there was a lot of, uh, especially the 70s, a lot of crafts resurgence and people interested in making natural things and living perhaps in a more symbiotic and wholesome way and and, uh, whole foods was really important and but yeah anyway the the art world I'd been exposed at least to imagery books classical music like I said and aspects of the art world that made it feel accessible it didn't feel inaccessible to me I'd, I'd be, it'd been presented in a fairly pure form where I was just seeing the images but I wasn't hearing any of the art philosophy or history or, or anything around it I just knew that art was interesting beautiful and powerful and I liked looking at it a little bit you know even though I'd just seen little thumbnails in art books or whatever but when I got to high school Yeah, there was art class and then we started, that wasn't such an issue in itself. Art class was amazing and it was really good fun and we got to play with paints and create. But the real joy and the purity of it really came at home when I wasn't distracted by a noisy class or being told to work on a specific project to a specific deadline or like when exams came and art theory and history came into it totally ruined it for me, like totally ruined it. Like the art criticism and historical perspectives on art, like the whole thing just became, what? That's not what I thought art. That's not what I used to... There was a big poster on the wall when we're young of Gogan's um, Tahitian women holding a bowl of fruit and it was just the most glorious, perfect, beautiful thing. There was nothing tight or rigid about it, and there was nothing conceptual about it. It was just pure, these beautiful women and this beautiful fruit and, you know, a kind of muddy print. The print wasn't a very good print in the day, back in the day, but it at least was like it was a glimpse of a painting that was channelling something really natural and beautiful and that Gauguin was really immersed in the culture and I think it was Tahiti, or so that he he travelled out to, and he he brought that that back to the Parisian art world and the French art world, and um you know he intertwined with Van Gogh, and they they liberated something together. You know the purity of what they did. They liberated something together. They were brothers. They fell out. They painted side by side and they were immersed in nature and there was a lot of rivalry and messy embroilment but the thing that came through this really fuzzy dark poster in a fuzzy dark room probably a smoky dark living room in a cottage in the 1970s uh, in High Cori on the Isle of Arran there was In my childhood, there was something that came through the poster, that came through the image of an image that was probably a lot brighter and a a lot more colour, enriched in colour. And I got enough of a glimpse of that 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 I knew when I sat down to paint myself, when I sat down to draw and I started liberating my skills in my early teens, I knew that the school couldn't um, limit that. I knew that the the rules in the class couldn't limit that, the distraction and noise of the class. They fell away when I sat at home. The noise of my house fell away. The tensions in my family and the whole family constellation, which was a fucking mess. Um, Addictions and violence and alcohol and abuse and all kinds of distortion inside and outside the house. Like, the, the mess of it, the big rural Scotland in the 1970s fuelled by alcohol mess of it was completely antidoted by simply sitting down and claiming the riches of my ability to hone my attention full immersion in nature even though I wasn't outside, even though I wasn't digging a hole in the earth or lighting a fire but I was just sitting between me and a pencil, and my eyes, and my hand, and this little flower, or a leaf, sitting on the desk in front of me in my bedroom. And yeah, fast forward some years to (laughs) the even further distortion and craziness of art school and coming out of art school thinking, what the? What fuck was that all about? That wasn't art. That was just anti-art. That was just against art. Um, nevertheless, getting through my art school years through by keeping my feet on the earth, by shaving my hair and making my own clothes and picking mushrooms, making inks out of mushrooms and just playing, getting back to the primal and playing with the art and getting into trouble for it and getting really low marks at art school for doing that <laughs> by the snooty patriarchal teacher hierarchy. Oh. Um, nevertheless, when I came out, even though I hadn't been pulled into that, it still weighed on me and it took a long time to like pull it away from me, um, to shed the layers that had been put up, the layers of tension, the layers of ego the layers of defensiveness against it that had been piled up um just through going through the conventional system and working in big art galleries down in London and after art school and and just getting very quickly getting very debilitating symptoms coming up so again Self-expression, symptoms, health and art are so intimately entwined that the years that I spent identifying with through art history, art theory, the art system, art galleries um, and trying to get into the hierarchy and feeling rejected by the hierarchy because everything that I valued and believed in was evidently going to be rejected, was rejected at art school, was rejected in the art community in London that I was sort of trying to get connected with. And um, everything that I was, not promoting, but everything I was expressing and exuding and passionately returning to my, my sovereignty of expression in the... Um, late 90s mid mid to late 90s when I lived in London and England the the expression that was coming out that what was coming out of me also it, it, meaning on paper and in painting when I just started to let myself paint <laughs> and let go of all these voices that were literally voices in my head that had been imprinted in there by the system, by art teachers, by art tutors, by art gallery owners, lecturers, um, professional artists as it were. Um, there were literally voices in my head that took years to release that as soon as I put my brush to paper, oh it should be like this or that's not good or you know, nobody likes pretty paintings or aesthetics are irrelevant or whatever the thing was that um, I could feel how my natural values were really negated by the art world and my natural nature was negated by the art world. It was rejected and criticised and um, demeaned and diminished by the art world and that was like was tiresome because I'm like, I've chosen a really difficult career anyway, that it's going to be very competitive and very difficult to get to a high level in. I'm working my backside off. I'm being completely true to myself and authentic and only painting what's true. And now I have to contend with the fact that it seems like the whole system is based on a completely different set of values that has nothing to do with valuing what's lifeful and real and nature. And in fact, it seems to be against nature and against expression and against feeling. And that to me was like, oh no, what world am I in here? What is this world? Um, And it took quite a few years of of wilding out and travelling and just being completely spontaneous to sort of shake that off, you know, really shake it off. And even even the, I tried to shake it off and tried to shake it off and it was still there you know it was still there every time I went to an art gallery and I, I found that <laughs> the thing, talking about physical symptoms you know I started to get sicker and sicker, iller and iller because things just didn't feel right in the world it, like if the art world is so distorted then where's the art like what is the art and where is it and why is it not in the art galleries and why why is the art world showing something else that isn't art? Like, what is going on here? So I, the more I immersed myself in my own art, the more I saw that it didn't fit into the art world and the more distorted I saw the art world was and I thought, this isn't, this is wrong. Like, what is, if the art world is so distorted, why is it so distorted? And what does it mean in, in terms of everything else? How distorted is everything else? So as I got iller and iller, I got deeper and deeper into my art. And the thing that I noticed was, although the conventional world was, was labeling my illness as it were, and defining it and making it into a thing that was atrophying me and leading me towards death and something that was irreparable, there's no remedy for this, there's no medicine for this. My art was showing me the opposite way. That my art was showing me that actually I am pure spirit, <laughs> I am expansive by nature, and all I have to do is find the right place to be expansive in, and my art can guide, guide me to that. And again, my art, like when I'd worked as a, as a child, as a teenager, in my young teens, just drawing directly from nature, drawing leaves and flowers and the obligatory um piece of driftwood <laughs> what was coming from an island art class was all about it. all along the windows just big lumps of driftwood from the beach <laughs> it was a real you know staple of island art life um, yeah that that same feeling i'd ha- had of the world melting away the constructed world melting away and my union with nature and deep immersion in nature becoming really clear, like, that I am that. Um, This happened again when I was at my, my lowest point where I was being labeled as depressive or manic depressive. I was having a big spiritual breakdown and I was absolutely struggling to build a constructed life like people's lives were, like, your average life was supposed to be, you know, earning money, paying rent, heating a home by paying for electricity, that kind of nonsense. Um, the, the It's not rock bottom, this is the thing, that the really, the kind of, what would be conventionally perceived or labeled as the, the lowest point in, in my being incapacitated and not having a successful life, as it were, perceived from the outside, and not fitting in, and not doing a typical day where you get up, go to work, get paid, come back home, etc, etc, pay your bills... Um, bringe and push and pull and strive because I could barely get up and because I could barely think straight and because I was so confused about what the fuck was going on around me. I went into the the sacred harbour of my art again, and there were specific days in the middle of that winter, which I think was the winter of about 2001, 2000, or 99, might have been 99 or 2000, I think it was 99. There were very specific days where I was in a cottage with a family, staying with a beautiful family, woman and her daughter. There was snow. I was so tired I could barely walk a few meters and I would just have a wee walk out the back and smell the air and look out over the hills. So beautiful, the light, the low light, the, the billowing snow. I had no money, I had no real home. I could stay in this house for a couple of weeks. I was renting a couple of weeks or a month or something. And there were just these quiet days of sitting and drawing and just dabbling with a a couple of wee watercolour paints or some kind of paint box that I had with me. I don't even know. It wasn't like gouache something. And some good pencils, you know, some really nice lead pencils, 3Bs and 6Bs and such like and a little notebook, you know, having very little to my name, living out of a rucksack or whatever bag I was carrying around. Um, no future in front of me. No idea where I was going to live. No income. Not really knowing how the benefit system even worked. But there were these days where I don't even know how long I was there in that cottage, but I was just being nourished by these beautiful people just being nourished and grounded by them and loved by them, just being loved and just being warm in a cosy house, just sitting by their fire. I remember very little of it. I was really in a bit of a daze and at, at my low ebb of being, of my health and my vitality. But I remember the freedom I felt of that, of having let go of everything and accepted that it's not working for me and that I don't fit in, like really accepting it and just stepping into that Buddha- bliss of midwinter. I probably visited the spiritual community and went to some winter solstice rituals there but my own ritual of just returning to hand, eye, paper and letting it flow. Pencil and a little bit of colour here and there and these images came out and then I'd go and walk some more just tiny little walks. I was so tired and I'd mostly just be napping and sleeping and Resting, <clears throat> drinking cups of tea and um, walking up and down a wee, a wee slope, a gentle slope, because the steep slope was too much for me. And these, the sun is so low up in the north of Scotland, the northeast of Scotland, in the winter, barely pops up over the horizon, pops down again. And what came through, you know, in the purity of that space that, conventionally would be perceived as having failed and having lost everything and not having anything, not having any resources or plan or structure around me, Um, that was an incredible, incredible, pivotal point into freedom and into the freedom of my artistry, as it were, uh, silly word, but my co-creative capacity, not just as... A person putting marks on paper that might be sold later or would be exhibited in the world and would mean something to the collective conscious. But much more than that, I knew at that point I was taking the reins of my life and my health and I was taking myself out of the, the clutches of a system that was distorting health, life, expression co-creative capacity on on every every level every level and those moments that i spent just dabbling even you know playing almost and just very effortlessly light lightly allowing what wanted to come through i created these little drawings that were so powerful so powerful but again the the art themselves, it was what was going on in me that was powerful. And the art was just like a snapshot of that. You know, a snapshot in time that even though it's hand done, handmade and unique, completely unique, it's more than a snapshot. It's more than a camera clicking on an image and and making a photo come out with chemicals on some shiny paper. It's the handmade, the, the magical interpretation not interpretation, the magical manifestation of inner vision that is not fixed, that is lifeful. I knew at that moment that my art was coming alive, that what I'd done before that, I'd, I'd had either the tightness of my high school education or the inferior ego of the art world. I'm not fitting in. And I came right back to those early days of that, the purity of perfecting my hand and letting something come through. But instead of painting a flower or a something that was in front of me or a piece of nature, I was immersed in self and self-expression. And that was a new thing. That was a, a new, I'd, I'd sort of been playing with that, but this was like the moment when those two worlds merged and, almost were conceived as it were where they came back together they started to come back together and um, took me many years after that um, running away from the system living barefoot being in foreign countries and many different foreign countries and um just bumbling along from one thing to another always managing somehow to get through it and find a roof over my head or at least a soft bed to lie in or, or a lumpy bed to lie in until I got here to, to Guardia and and owned my own home and had all the space and all the time to 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 really really do my work and um let it flow and really release all the layers and really correct my relationship with reality but I'm I'm making all these you know references and stories to just ground what um how profoundly liberating art is for me and has been and how long I've been painting at it and what I've worked through with it because I think that is really relevant, um, if we're working within the structure of what we think art is about rather than delving fully into it ourselves uniquely ourselves maybe it's hard to get to that full immersion without having really lost everything and there's a a unique release that comes from not having anything that allows us to actually see the truth of of everything (laughs) to see what the riches are whereas you know when we're when we're earning good money and we're able to go and buy art materials and um we don't have any sort of challenge particular challenge or our our health challenges are being fixed by conventional medicine um as in our symptoms are being suppressed by conventional medicine um it's it's not the same as being fully empowered by having nothing and not being attached to systems and hierarchies and limitations. And again, the... the, the inheritance, the power of our heritage and what comes through us and the power of what we're meant to have access to from birth, what we should have been given and how we should have been enriched. It's there. It's there. It's in us and within us. And it's there when we engage with it. And it's not that it's not there when we don't engage with it. But the engaging with it, it's it's like exercising muscles and it's like using your garden, using your kitchen, using your sewing room or your studio. Um, it's, if you don't use your garden, it's not going to grow what you want to grow in it. It's just going to turn into a big messy jungle and be a, a breeding ground for mosquitoes, perhaps, like the one below here. <laughs> um, if we don't use our divine creative and co-creative capacity, then we are not going to get the benefit of it and the riches of it. And the more we use it, the easier it is to access and the more available is this connection with all things. And I, and I know that sounds abstract. I know that to folk who live much more entwined in conventional ideas and thinking and hierarchies and structures and under surveillance control and limitation by the system and the agenda, I know that it will seem um, abstract. It will seem like a far away thing but but this is the point i'm making is that all of this is so available right now all of our state of being our state of divinity is absolutely at all times lying there waiting to be used And it's always waiting and it's always available and it's always enthusiastic for us to um, interact with it. And that's what art is. That is what art is. It's not just a capacity that we have to express something from inside of ourselves, though that, that is very, very relevant too. That is the point of being alive, is that we have source in our very core. We are source. And we are source expressing and knowing itself in relation, not just individually, but in relation to all things. And I mean all things. And as soon as we start connecting into that, painting intuitively, creating intuitively, cooking, gardening, swimming intuitively, yogaing, whatever the thing is, mountain climbing, bicycling, whatever our art is, The art of being alive is when we recognise that as soon as we... If we're actually noticing that as soon as we start engaging in it, things start to align around us. I used to liken... I used to liken going into my studio and painting like it's, I have to paint, I have to do it, until I recognise that actually everything is art. Everything that I touch and make and do is art. And... The, the verification that I have of that is that when I act from alignment with spirit and harmony, immediately it's clear that the universe responds. And this is something that like I could say specific miraculous things that have happened, like about manifesting this house, the story that I've told many times... And about relationship and about um, gifts coming in and things that I need manifesting and gardens and allotments and all kinds of travels and beautiful surprise meetings and so on. But everyone's relationship with the divine is unique and it, it I don't know if it even helps that much to to tell stories unless we're exchanging them face to face or with each other, with small groups of people. I feel that it is really important that, that the, the the connection comes through the telling of the story rather than me just sounding like I'm, I'm a, a special miraculous person and making it seem like that's less inaccessible for someone listening in. So there's something about the humility of of being able to explain how hard come by those miracles were. (laughs) They were hard to come by. Um, Yeah, maybe there's something in all of that uh, that is why I have such a strong calling to not show art just now and to not be an artist in inverted commas and to not be like to specifically be completely outside the hierarchy and talking face-to-face and on the horizontal and one-to-one with everyone that I'm speaking to. Um, apart from this podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, this is already over an hour, this podcast, and I want to go into much more detail in this. Um, but this is already quite personal and quite detailed. Um, but I want to go into the the actual process of drawing and painting and drawing and painting intuitively as opposed to everything that the art world says that art is and that you're meant to do. Um, I've done a lot of teaching of art in my adult life and I've also run an online art school and I've also decided to move away from that and felt, gravitating much more towards co-creation and co-creating with each other because it feels much more closer, feels closer to what co-creation is, what divine intelligence manifesting in incarnate is. And um, I know that it, the teaching of methods or approaches, even the intuitive approach, is actually a distraction when I feel that the closest way, the the most direct way to art and to our core, is to gather in small groups and or one on one, and have these deep, intimate shadings of just painting together, just sewing together, just <clears throat> creating in whatever way together, and then and then comparing notes and making tweaks and getting feedback. And the feedback doesn't have to be criticism or direction, just each of us reflecting back what we are naturally feeling from what the other person is creating. Like what we see in their work, what we feel from their work. And that's so different from the classes I used to run and so different from my upwelling energy of the the school of real art that I created and then took down off the internet because the instruction aspect of it felt forced. And it was forced. It was like, you know, I have to get these ideas across. I have to share this with the people and help them to free up their art. But I I recognise now that it's uh, it's such a, a holistic every area of life is about how our co-creative capacity, our divine intelligence has been interfered with, um, like interference, distortion has been brought between us and the inalienable creative capacity that we all have to, to have everything that we touch, everything that we interact with, come into harmony and beauty and alchemy our capacity to actually create miracles, like proper miracles, not just coincidences and things that connect, but actually miracles, like to play with the elements in a beautiful, creative, expansive way that heals and unblocks and pulls away the veils of distortion wherever we go. Um, Many of us have been locked into this mainstream (sighs) contract to agreement to do what's given to us and accept the roles that are placed before us. Even though we know it's not the best we could be doing, we know it's not what we really want to be doing, And also knowing that, unfortunately, our actions are going to have consequences in the world that are not positive, whether it be environmentally or economically for poorer cultures or ethically. Um, We know that the consequences of our actions aren't fantastic. And yet we feel obligated, like, well, what other choice is there? The thing is, every one of our choices, and this is what creativity really is, every one of our choices is infinite. It has infinite possibility. So we might be restricting mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Well, can one restrict spirit? No, we can't. (laughs) Energetically, we might have been restricted or be restricting ourselves, which is ultimately what we're doing because we do actually have free will. We're restricting ourselves into believing that there are not there's only one choice, or it's obligatory, or it's easier to do this. And ultimately that's what it is. It's the easier path is to do exactly what's in front of you. Sorry, not exactly what's in front of you, because that's really the true art of it. Do what you're given, you know, do the role that you're given, and the options in the supermarket, and the things that are presented so that we haven't. We don't have to think about them or or work for them or do the difficult spiritual work of learning about the art of life. We just take... It's so much easier to just take the cake, isn't it? To take the the money, to take the, the wage and not have to think for ourselves, not to have to develop spiritually, not have to heal and grow and do that uncomfortable work of expanding consciousness but when we when we really do the work the riches are infinite the riches ri- the riches go on forever um, and Yeah, and then we recognise that actually we can live in gift. We don't have to live in contract. We can live in gift and we can gift our gifts to the world and they, they are given freely and they come back to us freely. We can accept gifts from the world too. So yeah, loads more to share. Loads more to share on this. It's just the very, very tiny pinky toe in the great ocean of what this subject is and how these times are so relevantly, pertinently, um, the times when it, it, it's the moment to pull away the veils on the occulted and on the hidden. Um, and what we've been tricked into believing is art and believing that we're not artists, we're not co-creatives, we're not divine. And we're just in the physical and we're just a bunch of slaves and we just have to accept how things are and it's obligatory and it's the law. Um None of that is so. And the truth of our art is that we are art and the art is our beingness. And the nature of our beingness might be described as co-creative genius or divine intelligence. But yeah, art is a nice word. And maybe artist, we can just push it to that. It's a bit contrived, the word artist. But most certainly, I know, I know, as an artist and a a divine co-creative, I know that we all are artists. And if we recognise that, if we were able to get an inkling, more of an inkling about that, the world would change very, very quickly, very quickly, because we would recognise what we're participating in that isn't creative, that's destructive and that is damaging, and we'd recognise instead where to put our energy and our co-creative genius and our divine intelligence and where the divine intelligence is coming up through us and is from our core. Um, so lots more to say about that. This is just part one. Do come and join me on my Patreon and I'll be sharing more and um, I'll also be sharing soon about garden alchemy. And if you would like to join our new co-creative sessions Um, We meet every Wednesday at Rome, Italy time, Central European time, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. And particularly for my Patreon folk, my very special people who support me on Patreon, priority will be for them, but also there are only going to be 10, maximum 10 members in the group. And we have five or six in each session at the most just now. So it's just to warn you that if you if you are wanting to come, uh, let me know your email and I'll put you on the mailing list and you'll get an email about it so you'll know what time to join up and the link to click on to get into the Zoho meeting room. And the first folk to come will be the first people to click the button to get in. So um, at this point, I think 10 folk is a lot. So I think up to 10 is, is probably a really a good cut off point. And if you would like a, a different time, if you're in a different time zone that would work better for you. 11 a.m. or 4 p.m. Rome time. I hope I said the right time before. 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Um, if you'd like a different time zone or a different time or if you're interested in one on one sessions of either mentoring or specifically art co-creation expansion, um, just let me know. Uh, contact me directly. You can always contact me via my website, clairegalloway.com or womenartsex.com forward slash connect or contact. I think it's connect. <laughs> There's a button you'll see there. that will either say connect or contact. I love you. Thank you for listening. Um, Be well and all light and love to you.